Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, today we're wrapping up our Beyond Blessed series. This is the fourth week that we've been in it. And we've been basing it out of this book of Beyond Blessed by Robert Morris. There are still some copies left on the back table, right back to my right. And so if you've not grabbed one of these, we'd encourage you to grab one. They're free, no charge to you. And some of you might be like, was it one per household? No, it's one per whomever, whoever will read it. And so take one today. If we run out, we'll order some more of those. But it's our gift to you. We believe it can bless you as you read it. And so we'd encourage you to, to take that. Today we're going to look at 10 financial thoughts that are spread throughout this book and line them up with the 10 commandments. There are people who make a lot of money and are poor stewards, and there are also people who make a little bit of money and are poor stewards. There are people who've made all the money in the world, and yet they've spent all of the money in the world. They've been horrible stewards with it, and there are people who've made a little bit of money, who've been great stewards and are doing well. And so we're not talking about how much money you make, we're talking about what you think about stewardship and ownership. Last week we talked about how God is the owner of everything. He owns everything. And so as we look at these 10 financial thoughts this morning, the first is put God first. Put God first. So if you're taking notes, that's the first one, put God first. We've talked about tithing and giving the 10% of our income to God, bringing it to the local church. And obviously, this goes with the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse number three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. I want to show you a story that I find absolutely fascinating, the details of it found in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you want to turn in your Bibles or if you want to scroll on your digital devices to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 10, it's talking about Elijah And it's talking about a famine that's been going in the land for three and a half years. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 10, it says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. God told Elijah to go to this widow. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. She's a widow and she only has one son. She says, I'm going in to prepare this meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What a dire circumstance. In verse number 13, And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. And watch what Elijah says to this widow lady who literally has one meal left for her and her son. He says, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And it didn't. There was miraculous provision. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word, for the power that it has to transform our lives. 
Lord, we thank you that you are a miracle-working God. And today we ask that you would open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, our minds to understand. And give us the courage to be obedient to what you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Miraculous provision came to this widow when she put God first. Think about this. There's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. Why didn't God send Elijah to a rich person? Why didn't he send Elijah to a rich person instead of to a widow? And here's what many of us think. God sent Elijah to her so that she could provide for Elijah. But the reality is, is he sent Elijah to her so that God could provide for her. And so people think that God wants us to tithe so that the church can be taken care of. No, God wants you to tithe so that you can be taken care of. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. He wants your heart. And so here is this widow who has one meal left. By the way, her son has a terminal disease, and in a few months after this, Elijah raises him from the dead. This wasn't just so that God could provide for her financially or food for her and her son. God knew her son was going to die. And when you put God first and your family comes into order, you know, this encounter with Elijah led ultimately to literally the saving of, of this widow's son. The second point this morning or the second financial thought is don't worship material things. Somebody told me after first service, they said, I have never in my life wanted to hear the message that you preach today. Never in my life have I ever wanted to listen to this message, but yet need it so much, right? There are going to be multiple thoughts this morning that we share that many of us are going to be like, uh, could I have stayed home today? This would have been a great day to sleep even an hour longer, you know? Don't worship material things. This goes with the second commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse number four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. A carved image is an idol. And simply put, an idol is anything that you place above or something that you put before God. I wonder how many of us have ever put a material thing before God? How many of you have ever purchased something that you regret buying? <laughs> and you may be even tithing, but in this series we're talking about stewardship, which means we pray about everything that we purchase and we don't spend money unless we ask the owner, which is God, on if we can spend it. The third financial thought is don't use God's name selfishly. Don't you use God's name selfishly. This goes with verse number seven of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse number seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Right? We're not to use the name of the Lord in vain. And what do you think of when you think of a vain person? You think of a conceited person, a selfish person, a prideful person. This commandment tells us to not take the Lord's name in vain, and the word vain actually means selfishly. And so listen, I believe that we shouldn't use profanity, and we absolutely shouldn't use profanity that would use God's name. But I think a lot of people use God's name in vain selfishly. In other words, they pray for material things in Jesus' name rather than spiritual things. 
And by the way, it's okay for us to pray for our needs. Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. In fact, it's all right for us to pray for our wants and for our desires. But how many know that there's a line between our wants and our desires and selfishness? And when we cross over into selfishness, then we're using God's name in vain. The fourth financial thought this morning is to be a good steward. To be a good steward. And this relates to the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. How does this relate to being a good steward? Well, God's saying we can be a good steward not only of our finances but of our time and our energy. Working six days a week and resting one day a week is believing that God can do more in you in six days with his help than what you can do on your own in seven days. If you want to know how much God can get done in six days, take a look at Genesis chapter 1. He can get a lot done in six days. Right? And tithing is believing God can do more with 90% than what we can do with 100%. It's simply good stewardship. And so all good stewards do these three things. They spend wisely, they save diligently, and they give generously. There are three things that good stewards do. They spend wisely, save diligently, and give generously. If you're not doing these three things and you're not being a good steward, then you're not being a good steward of what God has given to you. The fifth is to teach your children. The fifth financial thought is to teach your children. Teach your children about God and money and possessions. And this goes with the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Why in the world would God command us to honor our father and mother? Probably so we wouldn't kill them. I mean, even the verse, it says that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Right? Why, would, why does this thought go together? Because this is where our kids are going to learn about God and learn about money is from us. Your children are learning about God and money from you. The way you talk about it. The way you handle it. They're learning from you. I think it's important for us in, in so many areas to be careful how we talk about things in front of our children. I think it's very important for us to be careful how we talk about our children's mother and their father in front of our kids. I think it's important that we be careful how we talk about the church in front of our kids. Right? You want to give kids an excuse to rebel against the church? Talk poorly about the church. I'm not telling you that the church is perfect. The church will never be perfect. In fact, if you leave from here because we're not perfect and you find the perfect church, the perfect pastor with the perfect people, please don't tell me about it because I don't want to go mess it up. <laughs> right? And so I'm not telling you to ignore or look over uh, people's misgivings. I'm just telling you that the church is imperfect and we have to be careful as parents how we talk about the church. We've got to be careful how we talk about money with our kids. Robert Morris in The Beyond Blessed Life talks about how 
if we continue to say things in front of our children like, oh, if I could just win the lottery, or if I just had more money, if I just had, you know, if we could have this or we could have that, then everything would be made great. And he says what happens when we tell our children that, that money becomes their God, right? It becomes the thing that they serve because they think that finances is, what is the provider for them instead of God. And so then rather than being faithful to what God has asked somebody to do or, or chase after what God wants them to do, instead they chase after money. We're teaching kids in that moment to serve money over God. And Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 16, verse number 13, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. No one can serve two masters. And so your children are learning about how you talk about God and how you talk about the church and talk about money. And here's the sad thing is you might be teaching your children to despise God by the way that you talk about money. Because it says that you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. If you're devoted to money, then you'll despise God. All right. I think some of you after this next point are going to wish that the mic was still dead. <laughs> yeah, I kid you not. First service, right at the end of the message, the battery died, and, uh, and that just doesn't normally happen. They're fully charged batteries, and so then I grabbed the mic that McKenzie brought out, and, and it kept cutting in and out, and I'm like, this is a catastrophe, and uh, so that's why I rejected that microphone. All right, but listen. We will have new batteries by next Sunday. The old is gone and the new has come in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus' name. That's why we live on a budget, which is the sixth financial thought, so that we can respond to emergencies like putting new batteries in. So n point number six, live on a budget. This goes along with the sixth commandment of, in Exodus 20, verse number 13, you shall not murder. Some of you are like, uh, I don't know about that one. Right, but here's the deal. If you're not living on a budget, you're killing yourself, right? You're stressing yourself out. 
And so uh, I know it's a stretch, but here's the deal. When we, when we plan to fail, we fail to plan. And if you don't have a goal, you'll probably reach it. So many people don't have a plan. And so let's watch this clip from Pastor Robert Morris. Years ago, I went back to see when it was, 2005. So 14 years ago, I preached and I talked about in our home, we implemented Mr. Budget. I don't, do any of you remember that? Or maybe you went back and listened to it or you saw it in one of the books or something. Okay, here's, it's a great tool. Here's the great thing about a budget. A budget helps you to make financial decisions without emotion because it makes them for you. It's not, a, it's not an emotional decision anymore. And it's wonderful. I remember I told the men when five, two, in 2005, I said, guys, it's great because your wife can ask you for something and here's what you say. Oh, I would love to give that to you but let's see what Mr. Budget says. <laughs> oh, Mr. Budget said no. <laughs> Here, let me give you a hug. You know, I, I, see, you're the good guy. <laughs> okay, so I preached this to the whole church, and I talked about this, and not long after that, I told Debbie I wanted some new golf clubs. <laughs> you know what she said? Oh, Mr. Budget said no. Mr. Budget can go to Elk. So anyway, you know, you just, just, we all feel that way sometime. Let me tell you what happened with the family in our church. When I preached on this, they implemented this. And so they started going, I don't know if they still do it, but McDonald's did a, a dollar night where you get a, 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 um, a happy meal without a toy for a dollar. So they started going, you know, I don't know if they still do that or what, but this uh, lady in our church, told us, she said they were going one night and the little girl, about three years old in the back seat, said, Mommy, can we please get a toy tonight? And she said, I would love to get you a toy. But Mr. Budget says no. And a little while, this little three-year-old girl in the back seat said, I want Mr. Budget to die. Listen, a budget will help. It's like a map, and if you're financially lost, it's because you're not looking at the map. Here's the great thing, if you're lost, you don't have to write your own map, right? A lot of people uh, don't know how to write a budget, and, and, and maybe some of you are like, I don't know how to do it, and then I don't wanna ask for help, because if I ask for help, then people will see the financial shape that I'm in. You're afraid to ask for help because you're embarrassed and you feel like you've done something wrong. Yeah, with everything else in life, you receive lessons and you learn things, right? When my kids were learning how to drive a vehicle, neither one of them, the first time that they got behind the wheel, started by apologizing to me for not knowing how to do something that they had never done before. Right, it's the same when you start a new job and you go through a training process. There are people who show you the way and they help you. And there are some of you who've never been shown the way on how to budget your finances, to look at the income line and the expense line of that. And I would encourage you that there are tools out there, people who will help you. One of the tools is Financial Peace University. We're not currently offering that class right now, but you can go online and, uh, and do a self-study of that with Financial Peace University. There's this very vulnerable story of Pastor Robert's son that I want you to take a listen to. Uh, my oldest son, Josh, who's doing great now, at, you know, planning the church in Austin, but he got married, and uh, about probably a year into it, he came to me one day and said, Dad, 
I need to tell you something. He was very tearful. I didn't know what had happened. I mean, I felt like, uh-oh, something's really bad, you know. He said, I'm, I'm really messed up in my finances. We had some hospital things with the kids. We did this. We did that. We bought some things we shouldn't have bought. And I'm, I'm really upside down financially. And I said, don't worry about it, son. It happens to everybody. Everybody. It happens to happen to you, your mom and me. It happened to everyone. I said, have you taken any of our financial classes? Have you gone through stewardship? And my son put his head down. Again, he's 36, 37 now and almost 37, and he was about 22 at the time. And uh, he said, Dad, I can't ask for help. He said, my dad's the blessed life guy. And I said, son, the blessed life guy messed up too. Everybody except one guy messed up. His name's Jesus. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Maybe there's some of you here this morning who your finances are absolutely just out of whack. Can I tell you that there are some people in our church that would gladly meet with you who are gifted in this area and, and help you work through some of, uh, of what you're going through with that. The seventh financial thought is this, live below your means. Live below your means. This goes with the seventh commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 14, you shall not commit adultery. When you commit adultery, you're living above God's provision for your life. It's the same way when you live above your means. There are two reasons why people live above their means, and the first is this, they're not content. When you live above your means, you're buying things that you can't afford. You're shaking your fist in the hand of God and saying, I'm not content with you, and I'm not content with your provision, and so I'm gonna do it my way. In Philippians chapter four, verse number 11, it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Now, these are powerful words. These are written by the apostle Paul, a man who has experienced a tremendous amount of suffering. He spent years in prison. He has spent time as a free man. He has been beaten. And in all of these things, this is what Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, learned, everybody say that with me, learned, In whatever situation, I am to be content. I have learned to be content, whether rich or poor. He says he's learned it. He's learned to be content. This is the greatest apostle who's ever lived, wrote nearly a third of the New Testament, and he says, I have learned to be content. You can learn it. It means it's attainable. Some of you might not be content now, but you can learn to be whether you're doing really well financially at the time or things are really tight. Because contentment doesn't rely upon my finances, it rests upon God. So there are two reasons why people live above their means. First, they're not content. The second reason, Luke chapter 14, verse number 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? The second reason people don't live below their means is they don't count, right? Again, some of you are horrible with math, and so it's not because you're being rebellious. You just can't count, and so I'd encourage you, rather than making excuses for how poor your financial situation is right now, to either educate yourself in math or have some friends who are good in math who can help you. 
right? Somebody that you can sit down with and say, here's my income and here are my expenses. And some of you are wondering, how in the world have we accumulated so much credit card debt? How in the world have we gotten to the situation that we've gotten ourselves into? It's because your expense line far outweighs your income line. And for some of you, it's because you're rebellious. For others of you, it's simply because you don't know how to count. And so I would encourage you, if that's the situation that you're in, find somebody, find me, find one of our staff members. We will connect you with people who know how to count who are good with numbers and good with math to help you uh, sort through that. Sometimes we're not living below our means because we go back to the first point. We're, we're living below our means because we're not teaching our heart to be content. And then we're also not teaching our children to be content, which goes back to point number five. The eighth financial thought is this, don't buy now and pay later. This goes along with the eighth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 15. 15, you shall not steal. Stealing is to spend money that you don't have. Do you realize that 80% of tax refunds are spent before they even make it to the person? 80%. And here's the problem with that. God has wired each of us emotionally to hope. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse number 24. There are four times in this verse where the word hope is used. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? So let me say it in, this, in these words, delayed gratification. God has wired you to look forward to things, to want something, to work for something, and then once you get it, the joy of having it is overwhelming because you've waited for it and you've worked for it. And we don't have that too much anymore. We want it, and we take a plastic card, and we go buy it. Last month, we had our staff retreat. Pastor Darren Poli was speaking to us, and he was gauging the age of the room and asking how many people in the room had ever heard of layaway. Okay? Those of you who are over 40 have heard of the term layaway. Those of you who are under 40 have never heard of the term layaway, and we have a really young staff. Layaway? What's layaway? <laughs> Layaway was when you went to the store and you saw something that you wanted, but you couldn't afford to buy it in that moment. And so you had them place it back in the warehouse on hold for you. And you would go in and make monthly payments or weekly payments until you had it paid off. And then you were able to take it home. That was layaway. Well, layaway has been done away with because why in the world do you need layaway when you can have instant gratification? You can take that credit card and swipe it and have it right now. This is why many people don't have the joy that God intended. Do you know that God doesn't mind that you got a new TV? A new TV that you can actually see the color of the jerseys that the team's playing and maybe even read some of the numbers of the players that are out on the field? But what grieves God is he doesn't want you experiencing grief for months and months after you've purchased that new TV. He would love for you to experience joy. Do you know that the clinical definition of depression is a person who has lost hope? A person who has lost hope. Look at this correlation. America is the most in-debt society in the world and the most depressed in the world. And the reason why God has said these things is for us to have joy. Let's not buy now and pay for it later. Let's watch one more clip from Pastor Robert Morris. When Debbie and I decided to get out of debt, we said we're not buying anything that is not a necessity, anything, nothing. If it's not a necessity, if it's a luxury item, we're not buying it. 
period, until we're completely out of debt. And that was, it, was a, it was a strong commitment. And you can do it slower than that if you want. We just said we are going for it all the way. So <laughs> one Saturday night, uh, Debbie came in with her hair dryer and said uh, it, it broke. And this is a necessity. This is not a luxury item. Now, I can do this and dry my hair, so I don't, I, don't, I don't need it, okay? But she said, this necessity for me. I said, I understand. I said, do you need it? This was, I don't know when on Saturday night, but I said, do you need it before church in the morning? She said, I won't need it before church in the morning, but I will need it, you know, pretty quickly. I said, okay. I said, I, I said we've been learning about God's provision. I said, let's pray and ask, talk, ask God about this. And so we prayed about a hairdryer, okay? Not that I wasn't gonna provide it for her, I just wanted to pray, I wanted to put God first. We go to church the next morning, we come home, on our front porch is a package with a note that says I was at Walmart yesterday and I felt led to buy this for you, it was a hairdryer. And by the way, when I was remind, telling Debbie I'm going to share that story, she reminded me who it was. It was Sandy Job, Pastor Mark Job's wife, who was our neighbor. This was over about 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And she said, I was just felt led to buy you this. God provides supernaturally when we decide to do it his way. I promise you. So good, even with something as simple as a hairdryer, how many of us would have just immediately just gone out and bought it? He said, I didn't have a problem going and buying it. He just wanted to see what God would do and how in the world that God would speak to somebody's heart who had no idea that the hairdryer had gone out. It's just amazing. The, the ninth financial thought is this, be a good witness. This lines up with the ninth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 16, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. God wants us to bear true witness of himself, even to our neighbors. And so if you're telling your neighbor about God and he's looking over your shoulder and wondering why you haven't painted your shutters, but yet you have a brand new car sitting in your driveway, that's a poor witness. And I'll just tell you this, like we, uh, I, I, don't, I rarely see my backyard. I pull into my front drive and rarely see my backyard. And one day, my neighbor came outside and in a, not a nice way, he said to me, can you imagine looking out your window every day at that patch of weeds that you have in your backyard? At one time, it was a beautiful raspberry bush area that became a weed in raspberry bush area. So you know what I did? Punched him right in the face. It's not what I did. How many know as a man your pride is offended? Mad. How dare he? But the reality was, I was being a bad witness. This man knows I'm a pastor. I got a patch of weeds in my backyard. So you know what I did? I went and cut down the weeds. Listen, I, I think in every area of our life, we're a witness to the God that we serve. In the way that we work, in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, people are watching. And when we declare that we love and we serve God, 
and then in our actions and attitudes and thoughts reflect something different, people then think that that's, that's how the God we serve is. And so I just want to caution us with that. The way that we handle our finances is a good witness or a bad witness about God. And some of you might say, well, I've been through hard time. Does that mean I'm a horrible, bad witness? Not necessarily. Did you go through it with joy in your heart towards God and peace in your spirit from him and trust in God? Listen, I'm not saying that everything is going to work out perfectly for you all the time. I'm not saying if you read this book that you start tithing, that you start giving to kingdom builders, everything is just going to be perfectly fine in your life. I'll tell you, even last week, we were supposed to do a baptism service last Sunday. And on Thursday, right, even as a church, we're in the middle of this series. On Thursday, there was an abundance of water that came out of the baptistry. The water hose didn't get shut off. You ever wonder what it looks like in here with the water hose not shut off? Well, thank God we have a sloped floor. But there was two inches of water up here. I mean, it could have been a fun slip and slide day. I mean, you know, new idea for VBS next year. (laughs) Abundance of water in the auditorium, abundance of water in the basement. And guess what we did? We called SurfPro. Thank God. They came in, and it was like it never happened. None of you had a clue on Sunday what had happened. Some of you are like, well, how in the world does that happen? Well, how many of you have ever seen an NFL quarterback throw the ball one way and the wide receiver go another way? It's a missed call, right? And so the quarterback thought he was going to go to the right, and instead he went to the left, and that's what happened. And so I'm just telling you that even in the midst of a series like this, things aren't always going to go perfect for you. When you do the stuff that you're doing, right, we can trust God, and, and, and our faith is completely dependent upon him. And so, again, I just want to tell you, not everything's going to go perfectly all the time, but what we are saying is that your neighbors who know that you are believers are watching how you're living your life. And the final point is to be content. To be content, the ninth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 17, you should not covet your neighbor's house or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's talk about covetousness. If you are content with what God has given you, then you will not covet. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5, says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Look at the list that covetousness is in. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And the reason it's an idol is because whatever you're coveting, you have made an idol of. Not only do you make an idol of it, you covet what your neighbor has. Your neighbor gets a new car, and so you get a new car. You covet it. Not only do you covet it, you make an idol out of it. And in doing so, you make your neighbor God. And here's why. Because you don't buy a new car when God tells you to. Instead, you buy a new car when your neighbor buys a new car. And then your neighbor gets a new house, and so you need a new house. And your neighbor now is God. And so you don't do what God tells you to do with your finances. You do what your neighbor does. And this is the 10th commandment. When you covet what someone else has, what you're coveting becomes an idol and the person who has it becomes God. Don't let someone else spend your money. Let God tell you how to handle and how to spend his money that he's given you the ability to be the steward of. Dave Ramsey has this line. He says, we often... Spend money we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. Do 
So 10 thoughts this morning of living a beyond blessed life so that we can be a blessing. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room this morning. The love of God is so great. Maybe there are some of you in the room today who you've never experienced how deep and how wide and how high and how far is the love of God. And today you say, I want to experience that. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned, that we've all missed the mark. And at the end of this life, we move from something that's temporal to eternal. And there are two destinations that we'll end up in. For those who are followers of Jesus, we'll spend an eternity in heaven with God. For those who aren't followers of Jesus, the Bible paints a very different destination and picture. And that place is called hell. And God loved people so much that he sent his son to die on the cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And today God wants you to experience that love. He wants you to be able to lay down the chains of sin that have so entangled you and to walk in freedom from it in the life that he desires for you. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I've never asked Jesus to come into my life and today I wanna become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God but you've turned your back on him and you say, today I wanna see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room, one, two, Three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see those hands. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning, I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior, be my king. Take over every area, take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer, we'd encourage you to text the word yes to 319 
250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today and the journey that God wants to take you on. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Also, if that was you, the Bible tells us that the next step from there is public declaration of faith with water baptism. And so we'd encourage you, if you've not been water baptized, that, uh, that you would reach out to me or reach out to our office or to our staff and let us know. And we'll baptize you any Sunday that you want to get baptized. I want to pray over us, and then the prayer team's going to make their way up to the front. Worship team's going to lead us in one more song. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and receive prayer. And I just want to say again one more time, listen, there are some of you who your finances are in an absolute mess right now. And I just want to encourage you, reach out to somebody. Follow these principles. But reach out to somebody and get some help so that you don't have to continue to live under the pressure that you're feeling right now. I want to pray over us. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these principles. God, we ask that you would help us to live by them. For those this morning that you've blessed abundantly, but they've been poor stewards, Lord, I pray that today would be a day where that turns around, where where they make a commitment to be good stewards. Lord, for those that have been poor stewards who are in debt up to their eyeballs, they can't even see out, they, they don't see any hope. Lord, I pray that today that you would help them to, to reach out for some help, to institute some financial practices in their life to help them get out of that situation. But I pray that when your spirit tugs at our hearts, whether it's through these messages, whether it's through reading your word, that you would help us to walk in obedience to you. And so, Lord, may we be people who walk on both legs of generosity and good stewardship. And I pray as we do that you would bless each person in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.